Hey, he is risen. There it is. One more time. He is risen. So, so Brant told me yesterday when we were actually uh, cleaning up from the Good Friday that he was waiting for an Easter sermon that was just, he is risen, mic drop, walk away. That's not today. <laughs> Maybe one day, but, but, but not today. And, and again, if, if you came in your jeans, great. Normally, I'm with you. Th th this is a, an unusual time and almost more of a lark. I think it was up to, I don't know if it was Ethan or Bon I can blame for the idea of, of wearing pastel suits on Easter. So anyway, this is not typical. <laughs> so, so normally, we'll, we'll, I have my, my good, you know, working jeans, and I have my preaching jeans. You know, they're not the same pair, but, but you know, that, that's going to be us most of the time. Okay, but, but seriously, y'all, I, I don't want to skip over this. He lives. Like, th this is not a normal story, because we're not talking fiction. Like, all the good stories that we write since then, this is the idea that everybody copies, because it's so unbelievable, it's so good, it, it's almost too good to be true. That's why you, you put in all the stories that, that that man has been writing ever since, because how is it possible that a man flogged, crucified, buried, no pulse, no breath, he was not resuscitated. He wasn't dead for eight minutes, and then they're worried about brain damage. He was gone. He was dead and in the grave, and he's back. I, 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 I know we know that. If you've been in the church ever, hopefully you've heard that, right? But do we really ever hear that, of what that actually is? It is unbelievable. I mean, it goes against everything that we've seen, everything that we've known. It, it's not just unlikely. It's unbelievable. The story was over. He was dead and in the grave. And people had seen this millions of times before. They knew this was the end of that story. And all their hopes that they had pinned on this Messiah, all the hopes that they had gone for, everything that they wanted to see whenever the Messiah came in power, all those things they're longing for, they didn't know what to do with it. He lives. We've been asking this question for a while now, can these bones live? And it was intentionally leading us up to Easter. As a pastor, I feel like, you know, a lot of the times whenever we're going about our lives, we're looking for sermon illustrations. It's terrible. If you're friends with a pastor, I apologize. You might end up in a sermon one day. But I, I want to give Ava great thanks. If you could raise your arm right now, Ava. No, 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 the broken one. <laughs> Can these bones live? She decided to give me a real illustration this week when our, our, our daughter fell off a skimboard and broke her arm. Can these bones live is the question that we've been asking ourselves for a while, because what we said last week was everything changes with Jesus. You have this question that, that, that people have been asking for a while, this hope, this longing, this idea, am I, am I just limited to this world? Am I limited to the, and subject to the ways that this world goes and to what might happen to my body, or can these bones live? And the question was answered, we, I have the, the words up here, right? And I answered, oh Lord God, you know. That changed with Jesus. He was the Lord God, and he knew, <laughs> right? Can his bones live? The answer was, yes, I have authority, he says, to lay down my life and pick it up. It, it's not the same story. Do you, do you understand where I'm going with this? It's not just a different chapter of that same thing. It's not like you go from Ezekiel to Jesus and like, oh, I know this theme. I understand the story we've been telling. Yeah, the, the answer is yes, you have humble submission to the Lord, and anything's possible when you believe. No, no, no. 
Jesus said, I have the authority to lay it down and to pick it back up. That is not a normal story. Something different is happening here. Everything changes with Jesus, with the divine. Death was before Jesus. Death was after him. And today we testify, though, Jesus lives. But that's not the end of the story because he is our Lord. So what does it mean not just to Jesus, but what does it mean for those of us who follow in his ways? That's our Easter message. Can these bones live? Can our bones live? I was an English major at first before I was a uh, philosophy major. No, psychology, then business, then ancient languages, then foreign languages, and uh, religion was in there too. Then computer science is where I ended up. But I was at first an English major, and I read uh, my freshman year, uh, Gertz Faust. I don't know if you've ever read this one. Fantastic story. Uh, the whole thing happens on Easter Day, all right? So here's a whole play that, that happened. It's, it's this guy meeting with Satan, you know, just your typical story on Easter Day. And, and, you know, basically this guy has accomplished everything that he could in life. So he had accomplished all the mastery of, of math and philosophy and science and literature, and, and he had all the, the love that he could have wanted from, from pursuing pleasures and all these fleeting friends and all this. And the idea is... Being as accomplished as he was at the end of his life, did he regret his worldly paths? And, and so he's here looking at the abyss. He's looking into eternity, and that question comes to form, do you regret this? And what he said, I think, is such a human response. He says, you know, there might be some people who can learn wisdom from listening to other people. I only know what is good because I've seen what is evil. I only know what is eternal because I've seen what is fleeting. I can only see what is good because I have seen the fallow, the, the, the shallow, the, the, the shortcoming of all these things that the world praises. I had to know that for myself. He's like, I, I had to know that at the end of, of a million dollars, there's no more friends than, than what I had at the beginning. I had to know that there was no pleasure at the bottom of a barrel of wine than there was when I started. He had to learn that himself. So he said, I don't regret it because how else would I have known what I know now? is that Jesus lives. It's this amazing story of him, him coming to the Easter hope and realizing that this is the journey to get him there, that his bones had to die for him to have life. Our testimony, church, our testimony is meant to be evidence of the gospel. Th this, is, this is a big deal. This is why can these bones live? Our shared lives, our testimony is meant to be evidence of our gospel. What we witness is evidence of that. Many of the best stories in churches are not fit for sermons because they're not my stories to tell. All right. There are amazing stories of God's provision and healing and restoration in this room. And I won't speak them into a microphone because they're not my stories to tell. All right. If you want to know the testimony of a people, you have to know the people. This is who we are, right? There, there's stories that, that, that would make you cry. There's stories that are in progress. There's stories that have turned to a new chapter. There's stories of things that have been logged hope for that are now, now realized. And that's the caliber of who we are. And I, I really encourage, this, this is not like a, a pastoral endorsement. No, really get to know the people in this room. Because this is where we can figure out, can these bones live? What does our gospel that we preach look like lived out over a year, five years, ten years time? We'll find out. 
ask the questions, get to know each other, get to hear our stories. It's not something you'll get from the pulpit. Can these bones live? It means a lot to each of us personally. We were reading in John 20. I love this part in John 20 because it gets ultra personal. If you have your Bibles with you right now, you can flip over. You don't have to read it, but you can just kind of skim over it. You see it gets very personal, right? You get all these disciples' names. You, you, you see that, that there's like Jesus showing up to these people, not just like groups, not like the apostles, not like the disciples, named people. You got Mary seeing the risen Lord. Then you got a group of disciples. Then you got Thomas, special call out to Thomas. Then a group of them, they're fishing. They were fishing, and Jesus shows up then. Then you get Peter gets a special call out. I love it because it's like they all needed their exchange with the risen Lord. It's not just a theology that was, like, if that was the case, show up, make the pronouncement, you're done, Jesus, go back, right? But what happened? They walked with the Lord. They talked with him. They fished with the Lord again. They enjoyed life again with the risen Lord. And it was different. It was better. It was so personal. It's very eyewitness-y. <laughs> it's very behold, as we've been singing that song a lot. That song, I think, is, is incredibly important for the church. I think it's incredibly important for us. Behold what love can do. Like, we are called to bear witness to these things. We are a witness to these things, like I'm saying. Your lived life is a testimony to what you believe. If you believe that your greatest hope is in your finances, then pursue that dollar. See where it gets you. I, that, that's not really, uh, that's not even meant to be a judgment. That, that's, like a, that's like a real encouragement. If you think that the ultimate life is to be found with your friends, dig deep into those relationships. See where that gets you. All right? We are going to be a people that say we have understood that full life comes from knowing Jesus and him crucified and resurrected. And I want you to see where that takes us. That's the Easter hope. The, the joke has been this is a Sunday like any other Sunday. I mean, it is, but I don't normally wear a suit, right? It's a Sunday like any other Sunday, though, because we are a people of the risen Lord. Like, yeah. And, and as a pastor, I think this is one of the, the, the hard things. Like, you, you normally have a sermon, you're excited about it, you, you know, you're, these parts that you're going to be preparing for, but then it's Easter, <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, you, I got I to really, you got to bring it home on Easter, you're like, what's it going to be? We're going to have food, we're going to have guests, we're gonna, we're, we got to make it big, but we're going to have lilies, <laughs> but really, we are always an Easter people. May you hear the same notes of praise and worship and hope and longing today that you hear in a week in two weeks, in three weeks, or why are we even doing this thing, right? Maybe I'll wear a suit in three more months' time. You don't know. You'll have to show up and see if it works that way. It's very behold. Behold what love can do. So where do we go from there? You guys ever have a life-changing experience? Seeing the stars in the outback was amazing. It opened my eyes to the, to the depths of, of the universe in a way that nothing else could. I jumped out of a plane that was like a life ambition of mine, and I got to do it. You know, I had a parachute, which made it a little bit better than, you know, as bad as it could have been. <laughs> Jumped out of a plane. I got married. I had kids. You know, these are fantastic, life-changing experiences. And do what you do the day after you have a life-changing experience. Brush your teeth. <laughs> Get in your car. Go to work. Right? What, why am I saying that? What, what's the point of this? Don't hear this as a judgment against those life-changing experiences. Hear that as the beauty of these life-giving experiences. Life continues. Life goes on. 
there's this rhythm of life with the Father, which is meant to include this resurrected life with the Son, that we're meant to enjoy the fullness of the life as a part of our ongoing life. This is the naturally supernatural thing that, that we talk about, that we want to live, that we want to realize is that we can have these moments of abject pleasure and joy, and we see the risen Lord in some way that we hadn't before, and we take that into our regular, normal lives, because that's the point. Because we're a testimony to our gospel, what it means to us. We are a naturally supernatural people. The Easter story is our story. So there's some reality to this, but there's some real loss too. Because it's too easy to return to the status quo as if nothing happened, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, of course, there's this beauty of, of, of enfolding it into your, your regular life, but also sometimes people act like, did that even happen, right? And it loses credit because we're not actually confronted again with the reality of something that changed. It doesn't happen with kids because, you know, they're there the day, next day. It doesn't happen with your spouse because, you know, they're there the next day. But sometimes we have these amazing, life-giving, life-changing experiences, and we forget. It's too easy to return. You got to eat so the disciples go fishing. But hear this. We can't revert to the same posture as before. Ezekiel's question, Ezekiel's answer, no longer makes sense. Can these bones live? You can't ignore what you know <laughs> after you've seen the risen Lord. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? You can't go back and say again, can these bones live? Oh, I don't know, Lord. Yes, <laughs> I saw Jesus <laughs> risen from the grave. These bones can live. You can't go back to the way it was before. There's sometimes you go through this and everything is different. Even when you're engaged in your day-to-day -day life, what has shifted? What is different? Ezekiel's answer of you alone know is full of wisdom. I don't want to take away from that. But we are disingenuous now if we say, oh, I don't know if the Lord can do that. I don't know if your sins can be forgiven. I don't know if there's hope for you. <laughs> They're a liar. <laughs> I don't know if grace and mercy is strong enough. Oh, my goodness. Yes, it is for you. Your bones can live. Your marriage can be recovered. Your loss is not going to be the end of your story because we know the author and perfecter of every story. What has shifted? What is different? We have seen and heard is a good addition to this. It's you alone know, Lord, but I've seen and I've heard. It doesn't end with just this question. Yes, we engage with the brokenness of life, and we're saying, Lord, will you heal this? Well, I don't know. You alone know, Lord, but I've seen him do this before. Do you see the difference? I don't know what's necessarily going to happen in this one, because the Lord is Lord of all, but I'll tell you what happened on the cross. I'll tell you what happened on Easter morning. I'll tell you what happened to my brother, to my sister. I'll tell you what happened to my parents. Let me share with you the good news that I've seen realized in the people of the gospel. So I have seen and heard is a good addition because we, church, are participants in our gospel. We are participants in our gospel. We bear witness to the truth of our salvation. Now, may your gospel be the gospel of Jesus, okay? I feel like that has to be said. <laughs> there are other gospels. There are people that are, that are pursuing other good news, thinking that that is the good news, and it'll be borne out over time, right? Too many of us suffer under a weaker gospel. 
a social gospel, a natural gospel, a logical gospel, an unpracticed, unrealized, theoretical, abstract, eventual gospel. That's not Jesus' realized gospel. John 20, which we've been reading since worship began, ends with this. Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the gospel. Do you see what happened? We'll tell you what happened, and it's for you that you will have life in his name. You're meant to live it out. You are meant to practice this. You are a participant in it. It's not like, oh, well, I guess maybe it's like fire insurance. You hold it in back pocket, and we'll see, like, maybe it's going to pan out one day or not, but I hope I don't need it. You know, however that goes. No. We are a people of the gospel, or what are we doing here on a Sunday morning? I have a nine to five. I don't have to be here for anything. Let us participate in the gospel and see what is true. See what is real. See where it takes us. See what it means to be a real disciple and not just a person who came forward one day and made a, a confession of faith. This is the truth of it. I got to un- undo my tie. Yeah, I, 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 can't, I can't do that so long. There you go. That's better. Our gospel is not just somebody else's words. It's not just somebody else's testimony. It is our story. Here's something that I've never said from the pulpit before. Here's a defense of church shopping. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 18. In the first place, I hear that that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. That's in our Bible. (laughs) What did we do with this? There was already false teachers. There were already people professing other faiths, other other gospels, weaker faiths. that They were taking away from who Christ was. This was happening in the early days of the church. But this is what he's really saying. What is the fruit of your gospel? It's a very consistent theme. What is going to be borne out over time with this? Where is this faith going to take you? If your gospel allows for hype and manipulation, how long is that sustainable? If you lie about your conversion experience, if you lie about your healing, if you lie about something that you've seen, that's not good. (laughs) We tell true stories. I have been so blessed to hear Cliff in the hospital make sure that he only says what is medically accurate for his healing. He brings in the doctors. I want to make sure what, what's the likelihood. He, he wants to tell a good story, a true story, as he says, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus has saved me. Because that's the gospel in action in Cliff's life right now. By the way, if you don't know, Cliff, who is often the best dressed among us, home from the hospital today on Easter Sunday. I mean, if y'all don't know Cliff, he, he is, uh, he is the often the greeter. He wears a suit most days. And, uh, and he had uh, complications from COVID and a whole bunch of things. He has been in ICU. He had uh, open-heart surgery, and it was not looking good. It was touch and go. And he is doing fantastic. He is doing great, and he is going home on Easter Sunday. He has preached the gospel to more people in the past few weeks than what I'm going to have the pleasure of doing today. I mean, that is the absolute truth of it. 
So if your gospel is based on shame and fear, what character of disciple do you get? If your, if your gospel is shame-based, if it's fear-based, what kind of a disciple does that produce? If it's based on this worldly age only, what does your worship sound like? What do your prayers speak to? If it's based only on the world to come, how does that neglect the creation that gets revealed here and now? How are we becoming? Are we becoming cynical, skeptical, violent, greedy, bitter, anxious, depressed? That's not the working out of Christ's gospel. That's not bringing our salvation to completion. These are a few examples, but here's what I want you to hear. Your gospel matters, and I pray that your gospel is the good news that brought Jesus Christ out of the grave. Nothing else, nothing less. I, I think we read that passage, and we think that God's playing favorites to see which of you have God's approval. It's like the idea of like, oh, well, he likes those people better than those. So that's why there's a division so we can see who God's favorites are. That's not the case. The word's counterfeit. To see which ones are the truth compared to the counterfeit in the Greek. It's like when you go and you have that $20 bill and you go to the, the store and they have that little marker. You know, they, they draw on that marker. I have no idea how that actually works. But <laughs> apparently it doesn't work. But, you know, th they're testing to see if this is genuine or if it's fake. And that's what this is saying. There have to be divisions so we can see where's the real gospel? Who's producing Christ-like character? Where is their kindness and gentleness and love? Where is there a fellowship of the saints? Where is their communion? Where is their power realized with the authority that we've been given through the blood of Jesus? It's important that we see that because that's an evidence of our gospel, evidence of who our Savior is. We, the Vineyard Church of Holy Springs, we are evidence of the gospel that we preach. That's it. I have been so blessed this year, by the way. Thank you all for the help with Good Friday. Lee and I have for years um, labored with a very small subset of people to, to assemble, to disassemble, to get ready for Easter. And it's been kind of like the status quo of what we're used to. Yesterday, we showed up to, to get the church ready for Easter Sunday. People had had a private text message group to bless us, to show up early, to steam. Look, can you find a coffee stain on this floor? <laughs> you can't. They steam clean this behind our backs. Behind our backs, the church came together to, to bless Leah and I in a way, knowing that we were going to come here and, and do that work. Thank you. Thank you. This is evidence, I do believe, of the gospel at work in our community. It's, we didn't ask for this. We, I, I should maybe ask for this. But, <laughs> but this is what the character of God's people is in this room. I will brag on you before all these people. I'll brag on you before the Lord and say, thank you for these people. Thank you for these servants that, that show us what it is. This is the plan. Our gospel, which accounts for lament and praise, our gospel, the kingdom now and not yet, the naturally supernatural kingdom, we are called to experience it, to witness, to testify to it. That's the plan. I mentioned lament and, and the not yet, and that's our gospel, all right, which I think is Christ's gospel. It's not all victory all the time. It's not all prosperity all the time. This is the other side of it. This world is broken. Justice does not fit within the confines of this life. Our hope cannot be borne out in this world as things are. Our hope is too big for it. 
The demands of justice is too big for it. If you have somebody who, who has lost their life due to an injustice, the only justice is that they are given life. That's the only restitution that makes any sense. There's no dollar amount you can put on a victim that makes it okay. It is a poor man's attempt at justice at best. Punishing somebody else, even taking their own life, that's that doesn't actually equal justice. It's a, it's, a, it's a broken world's way of trying to picture what justice one day will be. So this world, by its very nature, cannot contain our hope. It's not fair. Correct. It's not fair. This is what we find in 1 Corinthians 15. If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Again, this is in your Bible. <laughs> More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. If the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those that, who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. <laughs> this world is not enough. The full weight of the coming king cannot be realized in the confines of this world. That's a good thing. <laughs> That's a good thing. And we are witnesses of what we believe. This is what he's telling us. This is what we're about. That We've, we've got to see this. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of, to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be, to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it's clear that this does not include God himself. I feel like this is a funny little aside. Who put everything under Christ. When he's done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him. who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. A little bit wordy there of Paul, but I hope you get it. Holding both of these things at the same time is what makes us an Easter people. It's not just Good Friday. It's not just Easter Sunday. Holding both of these things at the time is what makes us the people that profess to be followers of Jesus of Nazareth. We are people of the crucified and risen Savior. I've seen sickness and death. I've seen healing and salvation. Part of this is knowing the long arc of God's goodness and power until he comes again. So can our bones live? Cancer, infertility, COVID, adultery, abusive parents, cults, hypocritical religious organizations, failed leadership, divided communities and nations, absent parents, addiction, poverty. Can our bones live? Can anyone survive this? 
Can anyone find life out of this? We go back to Ezekiel, and it's not just the semblance of life. It's not just that these bones are brought together, but it's life with breath in it, life with purpose and intent. Not that you survive through this until you die of natural causes. Not that, that you, you bear the weight of brokenness and take it on the chin every single time. Can these bones live? Here's the great hope. Christ's bones living, these bones living, Christ's resurrection, it's the first fruits. Matthew 26, 29, speaking of the rite of communion, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Oh, people have written books about this. <laughs> what does this mean? What is he talking about? Is this, did this happen when he had fish? Did he have wine with his fish? Like, you know, what, was this a, a pairing that they did there? What did this look like, or, or have we not realized it yet? I want to tell you, I don't think we've realized this yet. His kingdom is not fully realized here and now yet. We know that there's a greater hope. We know that life is meant to be more than this. We know that there's a coming fullness of feasting, of drinking, of lives lived, of celebrations shared, of harvests fulfilled. And I don't mean this esoterically. I don't mean this theoretically about a, a harvest of souls. I mean a new heaven and a new earth that can contain our hope and justice. When things are remade and there is again fruit on the vine and we are sharing it together as a community with Jesus our Lord seated at that table with us. Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. This isn't going to heaven when you die. That is actually a false gospel. That is a weaker gospel that maybe one day when you die, you'll go to heaven. The actual word is actually that heaven's this temporary place. It's like a tent. Because then what's going to happen is all things are going to be made new. This is a crazy thing. This is, this is wild that this is what our hope is. And we've forgotten what our hope is because we've settled for a lesser story. But this is the fullness of our hope. He said to me, continuing in Revelation 21, he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will all be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. It's important, I think, that we don't think that this is a new plan. That like all of a sudden, wait a minute, I thought we were just going to go to heaven when we die. This, this is a new thing that Jesus is saying. This is a new thing that the church came up with. This is an ancient hope. Let's look at Isaiah 65. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. <laughs> the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Sound familiar? But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. 
For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight, and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They'll plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. Lion will eat straw like the ox. Dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. Try as you might, that does not describe life here and now. <laughs> it doesn't describe the best life that we can live here and now. It just, it just doesn't. Even as a metaphor, even as poetry, it's just not going to describe what we can see here. There are a few unscathed, there are a few prosperous, but God is not the God of the wealthy, fortunate elite. Because until then, we live as expressed in 1 Corinthians. We have this beautiful arc. I'm not going to read all this to you. But there's this, this poetry of 1 Corinthians 13. Y'all know what that is? Anybody? The love chapter, right? If you've been to a wedding, you've heard it, right? Love is all this sort of stuff. And, and it's beautiful. It's poetic. It's, it's great. And we lose sight of the context. It's talking about the use of spiritual gifts. It's talking about the necessity for a world that's still struggling with the weight of its own brokenness. It's talking about the fact that we need the church to be the church, to be loving, because some things are eternal. It ends with this. For now we see only as a reflection in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the grace of these is love. It's for a different world. It's for a world that can actually hold it. It's for a world that can actually realize what justice is meant to be. And then it goes on in 1 Corinthians to talk about how we worship, how we use spiritual gifts here and now. And then we have that passage in uh, chapter 15 that I already read for you. For If for only this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's our Easter hope. Can your bones live? What's dried out your bones? You're in good company. <laughs> this is where we started in Ezekiel. He said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Not that we're going to be in heaven. <laughs> we will be settled. Our resurrected life, our continuation of being is our great hope. And it's good. <laughs> it's beautiful. 
Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. You will know the Lord has spoken. I have done it, declares the Lord. And we look again at the next passage, Christ on the cross, quoting Psalm 22. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Revelation 21.6, I read that earlier to you. It is done. Christ on the cross, it is finished. The will do that we see in Ezekiel 37, the prophesied hope that we see in Psalm 22, fully accomplished on the cross, fully realized when all things are made new. Your bones, dear church, can and will live. They can be dry and spread out throughout the valley. They can be neglected and ignored. They can be harmed by this present evil age. But it's the Lord's work. It's the Lord's work. It's not your work. (laughs) It's not about you believing the right stuff. It's not about you trying to, to summon up your faith muscle and flex it as hard as you can. It's not about you trying to just amount enough good works to cancel out the bad things that you've done. None of that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ spoken on the cross is it is finished. And he calls us back to that hope we had in Psalm 22. All those things that we long for, all that, that, that truth of what will be, that thing that our soul cries out and says, I know I'm meant for more than this. I know that there's a better life than what I've seen in the confines of this present evil age. I know that there's better. I know hope and joy and love and peace are not meant to be far off ideas, but a practiced reality. It is finished because the Lord has lived it out for us. It is his work, not the work of the church, not your work. There's this great verse that we read during Advent, that the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. The same message. He had the authority to lay down his life and to pick it back up again. This is the essence of our faith, of our gospel, of the good news Every word that puts this at our own feet, trying to make you accomplish this, is a distortion. Grace and mercy are to be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which empowers us, which leads us, which takes us to a place where our hopes can be satisfied and fulfilled. And may you hear that spoken and realized by the people in this room as we continue to live out life together, as we continue to speak this truth, to encourage each other, to bless, to tell true stories about the goodness of God, to to struggle through the times of lament and sorrow, saying, but yet I have seen and I know what happened with Jesus of Nazareth. But yet I see and know what has happened with Cliff. Yet I see and know what has happened with all the people as we have worked out the gospel in fear and trembling. So what do we do? We worship. We worship, we participate in the gospel. We bear witness, true witness, to what we see and to what we know. Worship team can come back up. Look, I'm going to get you all done in time for lunch. (laughs) Here's the thing. I know this might sound like hyperbole to you. It might sound far off and unrealized. It might sound so foreign that you, you don't know if this is the same gospel that you've been talking about. 
Josh is up here talking about Revelation 21. He's talking about a new heaven and new earth. And I'm, I'm okay with, with going to heaven when I die. Listen, I get that. This is a big teaching. That's what Easter is. It's a big teaching. If this is foreign to you, if you want to see, is this true? I encourage you, come forward. We're, we're not going to offer you in-depth counseling. Nobody's going to smack you on the forehead. There, there's not going to be getting your, your name and number unless you want to give us your name and number, and we can do all that. But it is a real invitation to bear witness to the work of God. That's what this is. Bear witness to the work of God. Can it be true? Can this hope be true? Is, is, is what happened on the cross, is, is that a metaphor or is this reality? What, what happened on Easter Sunday that was a mystery, that, that, that was profoundly different than every story that came before, is this true? Well, that's why we're here. Because <laughs> we say yes. Because we've realized it is true. Because our lives have borne out over time the evidence of a resurrected, risen Lord. And if you don't know that, oh, you've got a wonderful story in, in, pr- in front of you. It's not shame. It's not condemnation. It's that rejoicing and saying, oh, my goodness, do you even know the adventure that you can start to enjoy here and now today?